Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. Okay, today we begin an incredible 10-week journey into the most famous sermon in the history of sermons. And as much as I would like to say that Matt Smith preached that sermon, he didn't. It's the Sermon on the Mount, the most well-known sermon of all times. And I've been meaning to teach this for years because it's probably for me the most important, not the mo- just the most important area of the New Testament, probably the most important area of the Bible for me. But I wasn't sure that I had the confidence or even the energy uh, to do this series, but for whatever reason at at this time now, I feel feel that I do because there's just so much that's had to go into this. So uh, 10 weeks is a long series for us. We did one other 10-week series out of Egypt, if you remember the series that we did last year on Exodus, but I say this because 10 weeks is not even going to do this series justice. If we really want wanted to look at the Sermon on the Mount in its fullest, we would really need at least half of the year, if not the full year. So what I want you guys to know is just to to hang on tight and on your own, please take the time, just because it's a few chapters, take the time to read Matthew chapter 5 through 7 in the New Testament, first book of the New Testament, on your own as we go through this series, because it's going to be impossible to get every single bit of what I would like to be able to talk about. So you may wonder why this sermon is so significant. Why is the Sermon on the Mount considered to be the most important sermon throughout history? Number one, it's considered to be the most original teachings of Jesus. So of all of the gospel manuscripts that we have, it is the most solid part and the most consistent part and the most original part that we have. So of course, I believe that we can trust everything that we have in the Gospels, but the Sermon on the Mount more so than anything else. So if you want the bare bones of the original teachings of what Jesus believed, Matthew 5 through 7, look at the Sermon on the Mount. But number two, it's significant because the Sermon on the Mount is considered to be the central moral teachings of Jesus. So it's the go-to regarding what is right and what is wrong. So whenever you're trying to make decisions, every single day, ethical decisions as a believer of Jesus, the majority of the answers that we have, or what we would call the ethical system of Jesus or the ethical system of the gospel, we find in the Sermon on the Mount. And then number three, the reason that this sermon is so significant is because it's the first major teaching 
that Jesus gives his disciples. So you have the 40 days and the 40 nights in the wilderness when Jesus is tempted. You have the baptism of Jesus. You have the calling of the disciples. And then you have the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount is covered in Matthew. It's also covered in Luke, but it's covered in uh, much less detail in the Gospel of Luke. If you want to look at Luke, I, I challenge you to do that as well. But you're going to get a lot more in Matthew 5 through 7. To give you an example of how, how much is here and how long this, this series could last... For over a year, when I started at Believers, every single week, the worship and the tech team, most of those guys, uh, we met in person or through Zoom, and we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, and it literally took us a year to get through the whole thing. But we were breaking things down verse by verse, which is not exactly what we're going to do in this series. But it is the Gospel of Matthew that we're going to read from in the next 10 weeks. So a few primary themes that I want you to consider as we introduce uh, the Sermon on the Mount today. The first is this. Jesus is teaching about a new world order. All right. Jesus is teaching about a new world order. So what Jesus is talking about is a certain system of ethics that exists in heaven, Christian perfection, that he is then bringing to earth so that heaven is in fact on earth. So whenever you think about what heaven is supposed to be like, you consider the Sermon on the Mount. Love for neighbor, turning the other cheek, lust being something that exists in the heart, building on a strong foundation, and more and more and more. This is literally talking about what heaven is supposed to look like. Another important theme is that Jesus is expressing the importance of conversion or expressing the importance of transformation. One pastor said it this way, love as Jesus loved pray as Jesus prayed and obey as Jesus obeyed. So the ethics that we learn, the moral teachings that the disciples are learning in the first century are supposed to impact our lives in such a way that we are transformed as we learn to practice these things. In fact, it's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then number three, as far as a primary theme, Jesus is fighting for the place of justice. Much of this sermon expresses empathy for the victim. Okay, you're fighting for those who are on the margins. The underdog or the person that is struggling in, in a number of different ways is central to the Jesus movement. So we see this first in this sermon as he is instructing the disciples. And then as Jesus starts to walk from village to village, we see this practiced. So today we're going to discuss what is often referred to as the Beatitudes. And Beatitudes mean supreme blessedness. Because of the length of this series, we're not going to be able to do the Beatitudes any justice. Meaning that the Beatitudes, we should be able to take each one of them, and that should be a sermon in itself. But that alone would, would take up 10 weeks. So what I'm going to encourage you guys to do, just like whenever I talked about 
going through and reading this sermon for yourself, look at the first part of Matthew chapter 5 through those 12 verses and look at each beatitude or what it means to be supremely blessed very, very closely. All right, because each of these are very important. So we're going to start at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 and we're going to look at 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 5, this is in the Common English Bible translation, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. Again, this is absolutely packed. We're not going to be able to go into a tremendous amount of detail, but it's going to give us a good framework and a good introduction for everything that we're going to look at for the next nine weeks. Okay, so this is what the passage says. Matthew chapter 5, verses, verses 1 through 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. So Jesus is managing to get separate from all of the people, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him. So in this moment, it's Jesus and the 12, the new 12, and he taught them saying, and this is familiar to a lot of you, especially if you grew up in church, happy are people who are hopeless, or as some of your translations say poor in spirit, happy are people who are hopeless because the kingdom of God is theirs. That really seems to make zero sense. Happy are people who grieve, or as some translations say, happier people who mourn, for they will be made glad or be comforted. Happy are people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed until they are full. Happy are people who show mercy because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts because they will see God. Happier people who make peace because they will be called God's children. Happier people who live, who, whose lives are harassed because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happier those when people insult you and harass you. Think about that. People are happy, or as most translations say, blessed, when they are insulted or harassed and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. In the same way, people harass the prophets who came before you. Now, in my life, in the past, whenever I've read the Beatitudes, to me, they seemed very confusing. And there have been parts that, that, quite frankly, just didn't seem to make a lot of sense. That's why it is important, though, we are going to mention some, some major themes that are also going to continue throughout this entire sermon over the next nine weeks. Uh, we're going to get a deeper understanding of what some of this is, even though some of it may still seem a little bit muddy. Okay, so the, the Beatitudes are sometimes considered to be the sermon within the sermon, often because they're often mentioned as the most important part. And I can promise you they offer a radical introduction to what is a very radical sermon. In fact, this sermon, as we go through these next few weeks, will shake the foundation of some of your beliefs. Because some of you see yourselves as a very proud, staunch, uh, conservative Republican. Some of you pride yourself on being a very proud liberal liberal Democrat. Jesus is going to shatter 
every single bit of this and show us a very specific ethical system that does not neatly fit into a, a particular political party. And if you're not challenged by a lot of what is in this sermon, in fact, just about everything that is in this sermon, well, you probably have some issues that you need to deal with yourself. So there are two primary goals that I have with, with what we're going to finish up with, and it's this. this. This sermon's foundational concept of happiness. All right? Believe it or not, God wants you to be happy. As Jesus is talking to the disciples, Jesus wants the disciples to be happy and have an understanding of what the meaning of life actually is. And then the second thing that we're going to do today is share three themes in the Beatitudes that are going to carry us throughout this entire sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. So first, this, this foundational concept of happiness, this is very important. And it's important because I'm going to make this argument throughout this series, living by the ethics of Jesus. And there are a lot of different views on this. A lot of people say, well, well these things are wonderful, but Jesus is not actually expecting us to achieve these things. Like the difficulty of loving your enemy or the difficulty of, of turning the other cheek. All right, uh, those, are, those are lofty ideas, and Jesus was able to do those things, but the only time that we're actually going to achieve those things is when we're sinless and we're in heaven. But keep in mind the philosophy or the ideology behind this is bringing the goodness of heaven here, bringing the goodness of heaven to earth. So it's like everybody out here in culture, what they're supposed to see are radically transformed people. Not people who simply attend church. Not simply people who try to do good things. But people who are radically transformed by the gospel. So I'm going to make the argument that living by the ethics of this sermon is going to lead to the greatest possible human happiness. And I don't believe that many of us are there. I don't think the majority of us are there. I think we're stuck somewhere in the middle in which we, we strive to be better or we desire to be closer to Jesus. And this includes people that are watching this today that don't go to church. I'd, I'd like to be better. I'd like to understand that more. But I don't believe that we're thriving. I believe that most of us are actually stuck somewhere in the middle. So every verse in the Beatitude, uh, Beatitudes begins with the word happy, like the translation that we just looked at, or a lot of your translations, it begins with the word blessed. All right, this is beyond significance, significant, because Jesus is teaching the disciples what it means to be human. This Greek word for happy or for blessed is macarius. And you see it all over the New Testament. And what it means is to flourish. What it means is to thrive. What it means is to be in your best possible place. Like you'll look at some people in your life and, and, and maybe they're succeeding in business or they're in a wonderful relationship. They have perfect kids, whatever that may look like. And you think to yourself, because it seems this way on the outside, they're killing it. Like they're doing everything right. They've, they've got the life. 
But what Jesus is saying is to be happy or to be blessed actually looks very different. So this word macarius, as we're talking about happiness or blessed, actually means flourishing. What does it mean to flourish in your life and be at your best? Like if we were to throw this word into verse 7, this is literally what it said. Flourishing are people who show mercy, and hardly anybody really shows mercy. Flourishing are people who show mercy because these are the people that will actually receive mercy. Or verse 11, flourishing are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you. That doesn't sound good, but flourishing are you if they're doing these things all because of me. So what Jesus is doing is he is beginning a three and a half year public ministry by teaching the disciples what it means to be happy, by teaching the disciples what it means to be human. And they are going to have an opportunity to practice this themselves. So the dynamic of Macarius has a twofold mission that we can't miss. First, there's this ethical system that we're talking about that we must follow, and that's what we're going to learn over the next several weeks, that it leads to happiness, and it organically also ushers us in to God's favor. Because when we say that someone is blessed, when we say that someone is happy, when we say that someone is flourishing, what we are saying scripturally is that they have found their way into God's favor. Bringing heaven to earth. So, on this topic of a new world order, Jesus uses this sermon to paint a picture of the perfect future kingdom that we are going to look at. He's talking about bringing heaven here. And this is what he's stating there is a higher quality of life that you can discover by trusting me. You think that you figured it out, but the truth is you're suffering all the time and you have no idea what to do. You're financially making a lot of mistakes. You are working yourself to death. There are all of these issues at home. And what I am telling you is that if you follow this specific ethical system that is going to be hard and cost you everything, you are going to experience a higher quality of life. But also he's stating that fruit bearing, which is our mission, just like the series that we just came out of, fruit bearing is found in this life, leaving generational happiness and peace to your kids, making a difference in your community and the world that you live in is found in this life. And that a departure, this is the most important part, a departure from these teachings, which is the majority of the church, leads to the same stale religion that most people experience every single Sunday. It's the reason that the church is declining. It's the reason that Generation Z is disgusted with religious people. It's the reason that Generation X, people my age, have been damaged by the church and have all of these horror stories to tell. It's because we've departed from these ethics. 
We've departed from this way of life and we show people this stale religion. So are you starting to see the importance of this sermon? It's everything from the moment that we wake up in the morning and everything that we do throughout the course of our day. This sermon has the ability to guide us into a new focus that changes the way that we do life. Now, uh, New Testament scholar Scott McKnight, which is somebody that I follow very closely, mentions three themes in the Beatitudes that are going to showcase throughout this entire sermon. So what is Jesus talking about specifically in the Beatitudes? And what is Jesus going to be talking about throughout the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount as he's covering this with the disciples? There are three themes, and this is what I want you to understand, and they may be themes that you're not expecting. Here they are. Humility, justice, and peace. Humility, justice, and peace. So look at how each of these work themselves out in the Beatitudes or the, the supreme blessedness. Okay, so humility verses 3 through 5. Happy are people who are hopeless or poor in spirit. People who are completely emptied out of themselves because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve or mourn. And what this actually translates to is mourn over their own sin. They're disgusted with their own sin because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Humility. So here is the first overarching message. Stay small. Stay small. And I know that this doesn't go, that this completely goes against the grain of our social media culture. I know the people that we look at as successful in society are giants. And they're not people that are living this life of downward mobility in which they're actually getting smaller and smaller and smaller. What Jesus is actually saying is be comfortable with being unknown. Be comfortable with being so small that the only thing that actually magnifies in your life is me. So that when people see you, they see the power of the cross. When people see you, they literally see miracles. To be close to you is to feel as if they're in the presence of God. And that cannot happen if we're not getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Because what does society tell us? You, you, you go to college, you, you start at this kind of job, and you work your way up, and you work your way up, and you work your way up until you're somebody. But Jesus tells us that we go further and further and further to the foot of the cross so that he can be elevated in everything that we do. So stay small. So we have humility, 
And then we have biblical justice. So let's look at verses 6 through 8. Happy or blessed are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And this is God's righteousness that we see worked out primarily in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Remember, Jesus does not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So what he's going to do is tweak and improve the Old Testament. Happier people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed until they are full. Feels good to be fed until you're full. Happier people who show mercy. Think about how often you actually show mercy to others. When someone does you wrong, how often you show mercy. When you see the person that is struggling and you know that they're struggling, you don't show mercy because you don't necessarily feel that they are deserving of that mercy. But those who show mercy will receive mercy. Happier people who have pure hearts because they will see God. So our first message with humility is to stay small. With justice, stay virtuous. Stay virtuous. Make the right decision. Make the godly decision and care about the things that Jesus cares about. And how do you do that? You read the Gospels and you specifically look at this sermon. Care about making wrongs right. Fight for the impoverished. Stand with the weak. This is an underdog story throughout the entire message of the Gospels. And when we take into consideration the weak, when we take into consideration those who are struggling, the idea is that we are able to do this because we have been weak and struggling as sinners. We have been the broken people. We have been the people that have been poor in spirit. We have been the people that go without our, our spiritual food. So we have to stay virtuous. All right, so humility, justice, and then the last one is peace. And we see peace worked out in verses 9 through 11. And listen, there's not a lot of peace in our world. And I'm not just talking about peace between uh, countries or, or peace between political parties. I'm talking about peace between family members and, and peace between co-workers and peace between uh, friend groups. And the truth is, and I, and I hate to say this, but, but Christians are some of the most unpeaceful, hateful people that I've ever been around in my entire life. And it kills me. It absolutely kills me to say that. But what Jesus says is the antithesis of this, that we are to be peacemakers in everything we do. Uh, we can look at verses 9 through 11, which is the conclusion of the, the Beatitudes. Happy are people who make peace because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous, because the kingdom of God is theirs. Not for people who stir up and cause trouble. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you, all because of me. So here is the overarching message. Stay peaceful, all right? Stay small, stay virtuous, stay peaceful. 
And this is what's going to work itself out throughout this sermon. So I want you to think about, stay small, stay virtuous, stay peaceful. I want you to think about the people that you know, all right, or the people within society that you would consider to be successful, famous, people that everyone talks about. Rarely are any of these people any of these things, and if they're lucky, they are one of these things. So who are some of the most influential people of 2020? Selena Gomez, Donald Trump, Kamala Harris, The Weeknd, Anthony Fauci. All right, these are individuals that everybody's talking about in one way or another, and maybe some of these individuals hit one of these, but I can't think of one of them that hits all three of these. Yet, despite your whatever your uh, political persuasion may be, there's probably a few people on this list that you think they've nailed it. They're killing it. That's the way that it's supposed to look. But what does Jesus clearly say? And what are we going to see throughout this sermon? Stay humble. Stay virtuous. All right, it's very hard for a, a, a Wall Street businessman all right, or, or an entertainer like some of these individuals are to stay small. And I think we would probably all agree that it's very difficult for politicians to stay virtuous or to stay peaceful. So these are the overarching messages. And like I said, it's crazy. People just don't live this way. This is why the way of Jesus and the Jesus movement is so countercultural. It's why it's often referred to as the upside down kingdom. It's why this way of life is, is so different. And if you're ever around someone that lives this life and walks this path, and it's very clear that they are staying small, meaning they don't need the credit. And it's very clear that they are staying virtuous and they are standing up for what is right in every area. And they are staying peaceful at everyone around them. They love, they love people uh, from other countries that would be considered enemies. They refuse to be in a spirit of, of unforgiveness with people that are in their lives. You know you're around something special. You know you're around someone that is truly following Jesus. So there'll be a lot of teaching over the next nine weeks, but today I want to leave you with this, okay? Our mission, as you guys know, at Believer's Church, is to help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. Our vision is to create environments where the kingdom of God is both visible and contagious. We simply cannot do these things. We cannot do these things if we are not practicing the ethics of Jesus through the process of spiritual formation. So this happens when we embrace these ethics of the Sermon on the Mount. So will you be willing to walk this counter-cultural journey? This is the journey that I'm on right now. And this is the journey that I hope you will join if you're not already on this on this journey. Will you join this counter-cultural journey with us and with Jesus. So these are the three questions that I want to leave you with. And I want you to think about these three questions. If you're at home right now, or wherever you may be, write these down so that you can remember these. These are the questions that as we get into topics each week, I want you to really think about. This is the first question. Where do I stand with this topic? Lust. 
anger, forgiveness, divorce, spending, retribution, getting even when someone's wronged you. Where do you stand with this particular topic as we go over it this next nine weeks? Number two, how does this topic speak into your life and where you are with the person that you struggle to forgive, with the enemy that you have, uh, with the lust that, it, that, is, that is deep in your soul, with the desire to not build on this foundation. All right, where are you in your life with this? And then number three, and this is the critical question, and I hope that the Spirit convicts you in a mighty way. Can I truly follow Jesus? If I continue to ignore this, can I truly follow Jesus if anger is going to continue to be my way? Can I continue to follow Jesus if I'm going to hold on to this grudge and I'm not going to do something about it? Can I continue to follow Jesus when I'm looking at, at, at other men or other women all the time? Can I continue to follow Jesus if these kinds of things are going to go on in my marriage? These are the questions that I want you to think about. These are the things that need to be very, very real. Because I want to promise you, and, and, and some of these messages, they're not going to impact you in a strong way. And others are going to require you to change Otherwise, after hearing how Jesus presents this, you're going to be miserable. And you're going to recognize that, unfortunately, you're going to have to continue to show the world the stale religion that they continue to see over and over again. Jesus wants something better for you. And Jesus wants something better for Believer's Church. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today just asking that you, you penetrate our hearts, Father. That you work your way into our psyche and into our soul. And you show us what it is that we are supposed to do in these critical areas, Fathers. And you, you, you challenge us with, with humility and justice and peace. And Father, you help us to ask the question in our lives as we move forward every day, are we truly peaceful people? Are we truly on a gospel standard, virtuous people? Father, are we, are we broken, humble people? And we pray, Father, that you, you, you peel back everything that culture has told us about success, about doing well, about storing up our treasures here, Father, which we'll talk about. And you show us the way that will bring heaven to earth. We pray these things in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.